Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez International Podcast with me, Dan Worth. In this episode, we head to Amman to chat with Kai Vasher, the principal of the British School of Muscat, to hear about an initiative started before the pandemic to provide remote education to pupils in a second school some 1,000 kilometres away. He explains how and why this plan came to life, what the impact has been, and why it could be of keen interest to other schools thinking of doing something similar as lessons of the pandemic start to become part of the fabric of international schooling around the world. All that and lots more on the latest Tez International Podcast. Kai, welcome to the Tez International Podcast. Great to chat with you. You're in Oman. Um, what's the weather like there today? Hi, Dan. It's uh, fantastic to be on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I don't want to sort of upset our listeners too much in other parts of the world, but the sun is shining here in Oman <laughs> today. Um and, and it's very warm. So we're really enjoying the winter weather at the moment. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's, um, I'm talking to you from a, a cold, frosty England today, which has its own romantic charm, but I definitely would, wouldn't mind a bit of sun. Um, but let's uh, move on to, on to educational topics. And uh, I always like setting the scene with a bit of weather chat on this podcast. I think, it, I think it's a nice thing to do. And, but I think, I think to turn to the educational matters, we're going to have a really interesting conversation, I think, about um, uh, an initiative you've been involved in for several years now. And actually, it's something that you wrote for Tezabat in 2020 during the pandemic and about like a remote schooling offering you're doing in Oman. But it, even that, it, the actual project predated the pandemic. So it was almost quite this quite sort of, it clearly was very forward thinking project because it was actually before the pandemic. But then during the pandemic, it seemed incredibly pertinent. And I understand it's only really grown from there. So without further ado, Ronnie tells a bit about what it is, where it all came from, and then we'll set the scene for really delving into that in more detail after that. Okay, Dan, yes, it's certainly a, a, a been a very exciting story and journey that we've been on, uh, Briscoe, Muscat and Briscoe, Slala, uh, since the summer of 2019. That's really when the story all started, uh, when we were instructed by the Ministry of Education here in Amman uh, that Briscoe, Muscat, uh, which is a large not-for-profit school that's been around for more than 50 years now, uh, and we've got around about 1,000 students, that we had a responsibility to partner with British School Salala, which is the other well-established not-for-profit school in Amman, but it is a 1,000 kilometres from where we are. So that's where the, the story started. And um, in the early months of this partnership, there was a bit of scepticism, as you, as you can imagine, maybe from some of the parents in Slala. Uh, overall, they were very pleased that this partnership was happening because Briscoe Musket had a very strong reputation right across Amman. Uh, but I thought it was important that I started to get down to Slala and cover those thousand kilometres and meet some of the parents. Uh, so the head teacher at the time, back in November 2019, set up a, a coffee morning in Slala uh, as an opportunity for me to start to meet the, the parents there. And I thought, well, this was going to be a, a fun thing, um, but I wasn't quite sure what to expect. One of the issues that we had straight away, though, when we started this partnership, I mean, Bridge School Salala uh, it is and was then an even much smaller school than the Muscan. It, it had about 130 students, mostly in the primary school, and then there were about somewhere between five to seven students in year seven and year eight and year nine. And there was no key stage four. And so when I was flying down to Slala to meet these parents at the coffee morning, one of the things that was going through our mind is, 
well, what, what do we do about Key Stage 3? And we, with such a small number of students, it's really not economically viable. And do I really start to talk to the parents about perhaps even closing down Key Stage 3? Uh, because with five to seven students in each year group and two teachers, that's just not financially viable. So that was some going through my head I was fly, as I was flying down Slala uh, to meet the parents for the first time in November 2019. So um, I arrived at the coffee morning and the parents were delighted to see me. And then very quickly, I found myself speaking to the five parents of the five students who were in year nine. And they were all very polite and welcoming. And then quite quickly, they got into the, this part of the conversation when they said, well, our students are in year nine. And next year, they're going to be in year 10. But as you know, Mr. Basher, there is you know year ten in Salala, British School Salala. So what are you going to do about it? Uh, and I said, well, obviously with five students, we can't suddenly employ eight or nine or ten specialist teachers and create a specialist subject curriculum. I said, yes, we understand that, Mr. Basher, but what are you going to do for our students? <laughs> and I said, well, it's it's very expensive to create a curriculum with such a small number of students. Yes, we understand that, Mr. Vasher, but what are you going to do? And they were looking me in, me in the eye, and, and then they also introduced their students to me. And so my thoughts of perhaps closing down Key Stage 3, uh, which I'd been thinking through in the, in the hours prior to this meeting, um, I was then starting to think, well, is there a solution that we can do something for these young people as they move into Year 10? So obviously that, that's a great story about how the, the parents kept repeating that line to you and, made, and it made you realise you had to do something about it. And so obviously, as we've alluded to, this sort of hybrid model came to be with a mix of online and in-person provision. But tell us a bit more about how you actually then came to realise that was a solution that could work here. Okay. Um, yeah, so what was, what was the, the creative process that we went through? Um, well, I say it's very hard when you've got these, these parents saying to you, well, what are you going to do for our children, Mr. Vasher? to just turn your back on them and say nothing. Mm. Uh, and, and it seemed they had every faith in myself and my colleagues to create a solution. So we really started going back to basics. We thought we've got five students. We've got, we have got an English teacher here and a maths teacher who can teach GCC maths and English. Okay, well, that's a good start. And they can teach that face-to-face. And then we started to think, well, how many GCSEs do we actually need to provide for these young people? And, and that was a, a key question uh, because it's going to be a stretch to provide eight or nine or ten. But if there was a minimum number of GCSEs that we could provide, what would, what would that look like? And so I, I did some research into, in, into that question uh, and I looked at some models. And the, the, the model that particularly caught my eye was the curriculum organisation at Beedale's School in Hampshire, uh, which has been an innovative school for, for quite a long time uh, since it was set up in the late 19th century. And what I noticed at Beedale's is that they offered a core curriculum of five GCSEs, uh, and then they offered a range of other non-examination courses, other non-GCSE courses. Uh, and I thought, well, if Beedales, where you know they're charging very high fees for this GCSE offer, uh, and the parents seem to be happy with a, a sort of a, a curriculum of five core GCSEs, 
is that something that we we could we could play around with in in this in this uh, context in Salala? And again, and, and I did some research into university entrance, and it might surprise people to hear that, for example, if you look at Cambridge University and you look at how many GCSEs are required to get into Cambridge, well, it seems you don't require any GCSEs to get into Cambridge. But what typically most universities have a minimum entry requirement of five GCSEs, so English, maths, and very often the, the, two, the two or three sciences. Mm. Um, so that was, that was an important consideration. consideration. I thought, well, okay, we've got, we've got English, and that could be two GCSEs and maths. So that's already three. So if we can just find a way maybe of doing another two or three GCSEs, we might be able to offer that minimum requirement. So this was really curriculum design going back to the absolute basics of what is required in terms of currency for these young people if they wanted to progress onto university. And so then I started to think about, well, okay, we've got the English and Maths teacher, how maybe could we do some sciences? And my director of technology at the time, and remember this is pre-COVID, this is of November, December 2019, but he said quite confidently, why don't we think about the science teachers at Muscat, a thousand kilometers away, beaming in and teaching those students in Salala remotely? And I said, do you really think that'll work? He said, yeah, it can work from a technical point of view. We can do that. We've got a good IT connection now between the two schools, thousand kilometers apart. That, that will work. Mm. So that was, that was the second ingredient. So we had the face-to-face component with English, English and maths. We then had now we could offer three sciences taught remotely. And the third piece, I've been hearing a lot about the wonderful work that uh, Priya Lakhani and Charles Wood uh, had been leading with their artificially intelligence-powered uh, independent study program called Century Tech. And I thought, well, if we, if we use that as well, so we've had a, a combination of face-to-face teaching, remote teaching, and independent studies supported by Century Tech, then maybe we've got a curriculum and a program that is going to deliver a good experience for these young people as they move into year 10. That's a great story. And I think like you say, the fact that you were having a competition pre-pandemic and you know, your sort of questioning of, of really, you know, was something that very soon everyone in the world was going to have to start to, to get on board with. Um, when you put that proposal together then, um, what did you, you know, presumably it was the parents' reaction in a way you were possibly most sort of keen to make sure they were on board. Is that fair to say? And, and when did you actually start delivering it then? Well, yes, absolutely right, Dan. I mean, we, were, we, we wanted, we needed the parents to be on board. So we, we, we then went down for a second time to, the, to see meet the parents and the students in February 2020, so just before the pandemic's really st- starting to hit and affect schools. Mm. And uh, I was also really grateful that Charles Wood from Century Tech came, came along to that meeting as well with the parents. And we, and we set out this, this suggestion of English and maths face-to-face, three sciences, remote teaching, and Century Tech for independent study. And I guess... There were, there were two, two questions which were, seemed to be at the forefront of the parents' mind at this point. Um, one was, um, is, it, is, it, is it going to work, first of all? But most importantly, are, are, is my child going to be in school? 
And he said, yes, your child will be in school, mm-hmm. but the entirety of this program is an in-school program. So they were very keen that their, their children weren't learning online at home. And the second thing, not surprising, is, okay, how, is this, how much is this, this going to cost? And because we only actually ha- we're using two uh, teachers on site, the cost of this program for those parents was the same cost that they would be that they had been paying for their their child in year nine, and that mm-hmm. was important to them as well. And then other qu- questions emerge as, as as they start to think about this over the the next few months. And perhaps the most important one was: Has this program been approved by the Ministry of Education? So we we wrote a letter to the Ministry of Education here in Amman. Uh, we explained the program to them, and they gave us approval to run this program from September 2020. Right. Yes. So I see. So, so yeah, I can see there's a lot of things that came up then. I guess as you went through that process, but it, it's clear that there was a lot of um, positivity from the parents when you could able to answer those questions. And then obviously, I'm guessing the Ministry of the Edu- Ministry of Education, obviously, because they were the ones who initially instigated all this, didn't they? They presumably were happy with that proposal that you you took to them. Yep, the uh, MOE were very happy, and uh, I guess because of the experimental nature of the program, they gave us approval initially for three for for, for three years. Right. So actually, when it actually began in life, it, we, the pandemic was underway. So that sort of it was funny how parents obviously didn't want it to be remote, but then you know the world changed and it was remote. But actually, for the pupils, it meant they're learning. Obviously, it was interrupted in a form, but they were getting they were getting access to GCSE learning that they weren't otherwise going to get because of what you'd put in place. Yes, that's right, Dan. And uh, and I think the fact that when when we actually started operating this program in September 2020, much of the world was online, uh, and so actually they 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 probably felt that they, they weren't uh, experiencing uh, a program which was much different from what many students were experiencing all over the world. So, yes, so while the program was conceived prior to the pandemic, the fact that we started the implementation of it you know, during a period when many schools all over the world were online, that probably helped uh, the both the students and the staff and I think also the parents uh, ease into that that new way of learning. Mm. I suppose that the obvious next question is is how did it all go? You know, from that start in September 2020 until I guess it happened until now, really. But you know, it's, it's a long journey. How has it all gone? Well, it's gone really, really well. Um, and I'll just give you perhaps um, three three examples of, of the impact of that. Um, first of all, if we sort of fast forward a couple of years forward from uh, September 2020 to uh, last summer when that first cohort of the the flex students did their gcse's uh, they all got past grades in their gcse's and there were some really excellent results and that's obviously uh, the first measure of, of its success was would, would it actually deliver examination success in those gcse subjects that we were offering in this blended fashion and it did mm. so that was that was a really fantastic step forward uh, but before that, prior to the results coming out, back in November 2021, uh, when the, these students were in year 11, and as students in schools all, all over the world at that point in their career, in their school life, they start to think, well, what do I do post-16? And so the flex students in 
year 11. We're saying, well, we're doing our GCSEs now, but what's going to happen next year? What does post-16 flex look like? And this, this came from the students and the parents, not from us. And their confidence in the flex program was so strong that they were asking us to design a post-16 version of Flexed. So we started doing that back in November 21. Mm. By February 22, again, we, we designed a, a post-16 program of Flex with A-levels, initially with five A-levels. They were happy with that. And uh, so, so now we've got students working through a Flex type of program in year 10, in year 11, in year 12, and next year, those, those year 12 students will move into year 13. Mm. And I think perhaps what's been vitally important for British School, school Salala is that if you remember back to the start of the story, this was a school that only two and a half years ago had an unviable key stage three with sort of maybe 15 students in it across three, three year groups. And that was, that was a school then of about 130 students. British School Salala has now got over 250 students and the projected growth for British School Salala for this coming September is for over 300 students. And a lot of this growth has been down to growth in the senior school years, both in the key stage three year groups and also in key stage four and into the sixth four. And so what Flexed has been, yes, it's delivered something for these young people where there was pre previously nothing and those students would have had and their families would have had to leave the country if it wasn't for flexed or leave Solara at least but what it's also done it's given the parents and the families of of right across the school they can see that there is a future now in the senior school and because they can see that that future they're keeping their children in years five and year six they're keeping their children in key stage three. And, and the school has grown from 130 students two and a half years ago to over 300 students this coming September. And so now the, the challenge and the very exciting opportunity we're, we're working through now is how do we grow the physical uh, capacity of the school to accommodate this phenomenal growth in student numbers? And it's really secured the future of the school and created a future for British School Slala Senior School. Yeah, that's some amazing data, um, both the results and also, like I say, that growth and that, that growth of numbers and the fact that it's been driven by that post-16 um, sort of demand and, and willingness to, to stay for that. And sorry if you did mention this, but just to clarify, so at, at A level then, what is it the same subject still for in, or have you been able to, to add, add any more in? And again, by doing it remotely? Um, well, at the moment, uh, we're offering uh, English and maths face-to-face, -face, um, and we're offering three sciences. Uh, now, what's, what's starting to happen because of the success of Flexed in growing the school, and in particular in growing the student numbers in the senior school, we've been able to, uh, last year, appoint a, a full-time science teacher in Slala in addition to the English and maths teacher. And next year, we're going to be able to appoint a second and probably a third science teacher. So I guess the, the, success, the ultimate success of Flexed will be that it's actually no longer required in, in significant amounts 
or in the scale that it was conceived originally mm -hmm. because the senior school is growing and we can and that and that growth enables us to employ full-time teachers um so so that 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 has you know that so yes coming back to your question about the the a levels yes we've got english mm -hmm. we've got maths and we've got three sciences and we're also looking as the as the student population starts to to grow and continues to grow uh we'll we'll look to see if we can offer other subjects as well that's very interesting isn't it i love that idea that the school started life because it it, it needed this way another way of providing so you did this hybrid model that's become so successful you could now employ full-time people to then become fully in-house again. And I suppose, I guess if you'd have tried to do that to begin with, it would have been too much of a risk financially, maybe. But because you were able to do this other route, it, it worked out and now you're doing that. And I suppose to the other point that you make it in, I, I guess I can imagine a world where you have your full-time science teachers in the school. Okay, but now let's do remote humanities or, or other, you know, economics, whatever it might be. So you can, you can keep growing if you wanted to in that regard for Terms of student offer, that's that's right, that's right, and and I think and I think for the for the longer term, for both our schools and perhaps for other schools out there who are who are thinking about this type of program, what this has led to in the long term, which perhaps is the most important impact, is that it's changed the mindset of my colleagues, myself, uh, our students, um, our community that we don't always have to when we're thinking about maybe should we introduce psychology into the sixth form in Salala or in Muscat or should we introduce economics have we got enough students for these minority subjects programs like flexed mean that you can and we can realistically think about offering an additional subject perhaps online without the cost of employing a full-time physical teacher. And that gives Salara and Muscat and other schools, it gives a lot more flexibility in thinking about how we expand and develop our curricula at Key Stage 4 and Key Stage 5 in, partic in particular. Yeah, I suspect there'll be a lot of people listening who are very interested in that and, and we'll, we'll maybe come on to that in a bit more detail shortly. I think. The very last question I want to ask on, on, on what in this area, so, so so to speak, is how does it actually work for the pupils? And so you said earlier about the fact you know that this is done in school, or you know at least it was meant to be, then the pandemic happened and so forth. But so what, they go into a lesson and there's a projector or some screen of some sort, or is it all done laptop on laptops? Is there a member of staff in the room with them just to like to sort of you know as from, from a safeguarding point of view i mean how does it actually work in that regard because i suspect people listening that's sort of the last piece of the puzzle someone would be thinking yeah. about okay yep uh always important the practical we can get very excited by innovation can't we but it's yes. how do we deal with the practical considerations so obviously the face-to-face -face teaching as is done as normal uh, so they'll have some face-to-face -face lessons on their timetable that's about a third of it and then the the online teaching which is taught by the, the colleagues in Muscat, Briscoe Muscat, they, those teachers, their point of view, they are only teaching the students online in Salala. I think that's an important point to make, first of all. The Salala students are not joining a face-to-face a, a, a -face class in Muscat. No, these teachers in Muscat have, a, have, have the special uh, Salala lessons on their timetable. So they're beaming in to the students and how the students access that in Salala they each have, with the program, they get a Google Chromebook, 
So they access that learning on their Google Chromebook. And what we put in terms of in terms of supervision and support in those flex lessons when they're, they're receiving online teaching from Muscat, there is a, a teaching assistant who is with the students at that point just to make sure they, they do stay focused and, and to support them with any technical issues or other issues they might have. And similarly with the independent learning, the, they have a, a teaching assistant with them uh, just to make sure that they stay engaged and you know, to support them through their independent study. So again, that those those two dimensions, you know, the remote learning and the uh, independent study, because they're being supported by a teaching assistant, obviously that's that's at a lower cost to a, a full time teacher. I see. So they're they're on their Chromebooks, they're in the classroom, they're watching the video, the, you know, the live lesson with their teacher, and then there's someone in the room who could help them. Yeah. As, yeah. as required, yeah. Yeah, well, that, again, that, that seems to make a lot of sense. And, um, and, and so I suppose the other question then, which, which that actually naturally leads on to and I wanted to ask was, um, from a staffing point of view then, for those teachers in Muscat, how did you have to adapt you know, their, their work balance? Because you know, presumably if you're now asking them to teach these lessons remotely, did that have to mean shifting the timetable around? You know, how did you make that work so it could actually fit onto them rather than just saying, oh, you never have to do this as well as? Or was there already got a bit of capacity in the system to enable you to do that? Um, well, because because um, Muscat's quite a large school, and you know, we we start planning our curriculum uh, for the following year. We start planning that in September, so we're we're we're, we're modelling, you know, how much science we need, or how much computer science we need, or how much French we need, and so we can we can build in the potential demand now for flexed uh, very early on in the year, and we can when we're thinking about well, you know, do we need to recruit? Do we need to recruit or does LAR need to recruit or how are we going to say? So we, we, we plan very early on. We've always done that. Um, and uh, but, but what we do, this is not extra teaching for the teachers in Muscat. It is part of their timetable. And so obviously to be part of their timetable, what we've had to do with both schools is make sure that the timetables of both senior schools are aligned. Um, and because you know we're 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 part of like the same small school group, you know the schools are working in partnership. Uh, we we do have frequent planning sessions with the timetable uh, developer in Slala and the time developer in Muscat. And so yes, the timetables have to be aligned; otherwise, it wouldn't work. Uh, and then and then these lessons. I mean, if you're a teacher of biology in Muscat, you might be teaching year nine period one in Muscat and then you'd be teaching let's say year 10 uh flexed in Salala so it's just it just becomes an, an online lesson on your timetable what we have also done though which I think is important and certainly in the early stages of, of an innovation like this is we've given some additional planning time to the teachers in Muscat to acknowledge that you know switching from being doing face to tech face teaching to online teaching, that's going to uh, put additional planning time into uh, the the demands we're placing on staff there. So in in the first couple of years of of, of flex, we have been able to uh, give those teachers some additional PPA time uh, because they are involved in this innovative way of working. And and how is that? What's that reaction to have been like? You know, do they do they enjoy it? Do they like that chance to, I guess, in so many ways, like you know, for their own development as a teacher, as a, as an educator, 
the chance to help another school in country and know that they have that, you know, rapport with those families, even though they didn't ever have been there. You know, was, there, was it a learning curve for them or did they, the pandemic probably meant everyone had to do it. But since then, you know, have you sensed the, the fact that actually they, they quite like doing this or has there been a sort of, I don't know, having to convince people of why it's an important part of their, their role now? Well, I think I think one of the one of the learnings from this, which perhaps won't surprise you, Dan, or anybody listening, is that you know we we were reminded, I think, all of us during the pandemic, how important those those relationships are between staff and students, which which we only really get when we when we're working face to face with young people, um, and and it's the same reflects really. Is that we, we did anticipate when we were doing the early planning that ideally uh, the staff who were teaching flexed from Muscan would be travelling down to Slala at least once a term to first of all certainly from the science point of view help the students with the practical work uh, and also to develop those face to face relationships which, which would then support better the online experience and I guess. Yeah, like any any teacher teaching anything, um, there are, there are some teachers who have really taken to flex and they really enjoy it, uh, and I've actually had some some colleagues who in the last couple of years have moved on from British School Muscat, but have either actually been involved in flex now they've moved on from Muscat and are elsewhere in the world, uh, or they 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 have moved on and they've expressed a desire to be involved in flex maybe teach you from switzerland or the uk mm. so i think this type of working suits some some staff uh, but it, it's not everybody's cup of tea and and so one of the learnings we've been, been going through is yeah we, we need to make sure that the staff who who are involved in flex teaching the remote learning are teachers who who will thrive and enjoy and and and, and can put that I guess additional effort into creating those relationships when you're online with with, with students for a two year course, which is not easy. Uh, but yeah, you know, for for some staff, that's more suitable than than maybe others. Yeah, no, I suspect that's a good point for for many people listening and thinking about this because I think it's important. Maybe we should say here that um, there was some recent data from a from a Cobus report that we covered on TED saying that they're asking schools how they're looking at the future and innovations of teaching and learning and so forth. 1% of respondents said they were offering any form of fully online schooling, but 5% said they were looking at developing doing this and 25% considering developing this. So it, it seems that the pandemic, people haven't just said, oh, thank you. thankfully that's all over. Let's, let's go back to in-person entirely. As schools like yours, yours are showing, is there is this way you can in, enhance and, and use online teaching to, to sort of grow a school, to offer a service in a country, to give teachers other ways of delivering lessons. Um, you are also going to be talking, so obviously I think you sharing this on the podcast will be really insightful to a lot of people. And also you're going to be talking about this at the World Education Summit. Again, people who might tune into that, what are you going to be chatting about? And again, presumably that's going to be a good chance for people just to get, learn even more about how you've done all this. Yes, that's right. Um, well, first of all, I'm going to be sharing the, the Flex story again, uh, because over the last 10 years or so, it has attracted a lot of interest from educators all, all, all over the world. And, I'm, and I'm, st I'm still having conversations like we're having today, Dan, where I'm just explaining the basic nuts and bolts of the, of the program and how it works. But I think, you know, what are, what are, the, what are the key learnings that are coming out of this, which, which we're then going to be talking about at the uh, World Education Summit? Well, I think what, what is clear from our experience 
is that blended learning programs like Flexed can be part of a young person's education experience. And like you know, for some teachers, they, they thrive in this type of environment. For some students, they thrive in this, this type of environment. But it's not for everybody. Um, but I think what's clear and what many of us saw through the, the pandemic is blended learning can work. But I think what we're learning through Flexed is that bl blended learning doesn't just have to be a sort of a crisis response. It can be part of our curriculum design as we're looking at solutions for perhaps providing subjects which don't attract so many students. You know, if we've only got two or three students who want to do a subject, flex could be a solution. Or if, we've, if we're running a school in a remote area where it's difficult to attract staff to, again, flexed might offer uh, or inspire a solution there. But I guess what we're, we're, what we're going to be talking about at the World Education Summit is the concept of the open school and, and how and what have we learned from programs like Flexed, which might help design, help in the design of the open school. And if you're not sure what the open school is all about, then you'll need to tune into the World Education Summit. But I think one of the, the, the other big learnings that, that we, we've going, and I've alluded to this already, is that if, if, you, if, if you are thinking about a flexed type blended learning program, I think perhaps one of the most important considerations is to be thinking about within that blended provision, how are you going to support the development of the relationship between the student and the teacher? Because you might get the technical stuff right, and that, that's relatively straightforward in some ways, and you might get the curriculum design right, but this human element, you know, the social side of it, how is that going to work? Because as, as again, I think so many of us learn in the pandemic, that social side to learning, that social side to traditional schooling is so important for many of our young people. Yes, yeah, so that, that, and that, uh, absolutely. I think there's a, there's a lot there and the, the, the talk at the summit sounds great. I suspect, you know, we know people attend that event. Um, so hopefully people look for that one on the, on the agenda and, and, you know, attend it. You did sort of touch on this about arranging teachers to go to the school and so forth. I mean, is that, would you say, is that your sort of number one thing? You have to, you do have to build in some time together or are there other ways you can do it as well beyond just lessons? You know, do you have almost have like some sort of informal chats on teams, you know, one-to-ones or whatever it might be? How do you do that best to get that relationship built? Well, I think, I think, yes, I mean, I think the most obvious piece would be if it's possible to, to build in some face-to-face some -face experience um if if that's if that's feasible or if not i think you know those those colleagues and teachers around the world who have continued with some element of online teaching since the pandemic i, I think we're learning all the time if we're continuing to use online as we're learning through cpd that there are there are ways in which uh we can uh engage with each other much more effectively through an online environment. For example, something I've come across recently, someone called Priya Parker in the United States, she's doing a lot of work on the arts of gathering. And her research shows that if you're doing an online event, then you need to think about within the first five minutes, how are you going to engage with your audience? Um, you know, so you're not talking at people, 
for 20 minutes or half an hour before you even try to do that. So I think we are learning a lot. And I think as we develop our use of online learning, uh, as we develop our use of artificial, artificial intelligence, then I, I think we will, we will learn uh, that, 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 you know, a, a range of strategies to help us develop relationships with each other. Mm. And that, that, that's a good final point in a way, isn't it? Is that we talk about this and in some ways it feels quite embedded. You know, we're, we all understand online teaching. We all, we all went through the pandemic and everything. And yet really what like your school has done there, everything we've talked about is only a few years old. You know, it's really early days and there's so much to learn about how we do it best and what works well, what doesn't. And, you know, a bit, you might try a new way of doing something and it won't work quite as well, but that's, you know, that's okay. That's part of the process. So I think it's so, it's so interesting to hear about how you've done it and what you've done and interesting that a COBUS data and you said you've been talking to people around the world about what you've been doing yourselves, going to be at the summit. Clearly, there's a lot of interest in this because actually as we look to the future, it's probably going to be a model that's going to exist in many other forms, not because of pandemic-related reasons, but because actually it's a really good way of helping, you know, broaden access to education around the world. Yes, that's right, Dan. And I think, I think what, what, what it's helped, Steve, and the pandemic has helped helped us and things like Flex have helped us is to challenge some of our fundamental assumptions about curriculum design. So for example, yeah, all teaching doesn't have to be face-to-face. That's a quite big challenge, an assumption to challenge. And I think also with the number of subjects at GCSE, you know, how many subjects, if we're going to carry on with GCSE is much longer, and obviously there's a debate shaping around that, but what do our students in if like year 10 and year 11 what do they really need to go forward and live a full life, fulfilling life in, in the future? And so for me, the really exciting piece here as a, as a curriculum designer is, is that we've, cha- we've started to challenge some of those basic assumptions or fundamental assumptions of curriculum design. And by doing that, we are creating wider and better opportunity for more young people. And that's got to be good news. Absolutely, that's 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 a great um, a great place to finish. And so, thank you so much for sharing your insights on this. Really appreciate it. And I'm sure if anyone's um, wants to know more, you you happy for them to reach out and con- connect you on um, on Twitter. Say, I mean, your Twitter handle is Principal Muscat, so you know people can that's find Kai right. there and reach out. And and as mentioned at the summit, hopefully the podcast will be really helpful. You know, Kai, thank you so much for your time and your insights. Really interesting stuff. Good luck with the rest of it. And um, yeah, thank you again. Thanks, Dan. And I'm also quite active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Um, so happy, happy to connect online. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's all right. Brilliant. There you go.